I want to show you this picture. You've probably been seeing this on the news of just these incredible destructive fires out west. It's one of the scariest and most unimaginable things that I can think of to have to be a part of that and so extremely destructive. And that's what makes it a little bit unusual that Peter, when he thinks about us going through fires, he talks about that a lot, he believes that it can be productive. In fact, go back to a couple of those verses Tom read to us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. Let's go into verse 7. He said, you're going to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter says, you're going through fire. Yep. And it's going to refine you. And then in chapter 4, verse 12, he tells us not to be surprised by it. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You see, Peter says, don't be surprised and look beyond the fire and know that something good can come out of it. Now, look at this next picture. Often we fight fire with fire. I mean, that's a picture of someone doing a backfire. Often, if there's a big fire going on and you want to stop the fire, you start another fire ahead of it so there's nothing for it to burn. And so it can be productive in stopping those fires. So today we're talking about two things. First of all, God's family under fire. And understand the purpose is for us to be refined by fire. That God does a great work on us in the middle of suffering. But it also is a beautiful opportunity for a new beginning. You guys, that's the way that God has helped me frame this that's given me peace. We're not trying to just continue what we've always done. This is a chance to say, let's start anew. We're not just seeking to go back to normal. We are wanting by the power of God to create a new normal. And fire gives us that opportunity. I was speaking to um, Gary Henry, one of our great farmers here, and I asked him, why do people burn fields? Why do foresters go in the forest and burn things away on purpose? And he gave me a couple ideas. He said, first of all, he said they do it because they want to burn away unwanted vegetation. And it will destroy that. But then he said something that surprised me. After the fire is over... It has fertilized the ground. Look at this next picture. You see the green coming through after the fire. There's a chance for a new opportunity and new growth. And so that's what Peter sees in his hopefulness. That not only is God's family under fire, but here's our point today. God's family becomes on fire. That if we will submit this to the power of God, that this fire that may be meant to destroy us can actually produce in us a brand new beginning. And that's what he's talking about in 1 Peter chapter 4. Right after he's talked about Jesus 
suffering and us relating to Jesus, listen to what he says in verses 1 and 2. I hope you have your Bible. You'll follow along with us today as we walk through these verses. He says, since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, learn to think like him. Think of your sufferings as a weaning from the old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. Then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. He says fire has an opportunity to change us. Number one, we have just six points today, right? After last week's seven point, we're down to six, so celebrate a little bit. Six points. Number one, we become a family of Christ followers. He says, when you endure fiery trials and suffering, the person who understands it, the person who's actually been through worse than what you've ever been through is Jesus. And he says, it helps you become like him, so much like him, Peter hopes, that you start to think like he thought. The, the words literally here is to arm yourself in the middle of this war with Christ's mind, his attitude. So what happens with us is what happened with Jesus. Jesus is undergoing an incredible fiery trial about to die in our stead. He begs God to remove this cup. And he says, God, I don't want this. I don't like this. I would rather not do this. Do you feel that way right now? And then he lands on, okay, Father, but I submit. Not my will, but your will be done. He says, we begin to think like that. We begin to actually pray the same prayer he prayed in the middle of these confusing times. Now, one thing I really love about how the message translation put those verses. He says that suffering weans us from the old sinful habit of expecting to act, get our way. You see, all of us at core are born selfish. We want our way. And when you go through suffering and difficulty, you begin to see what's important and what's not important, what's good and what's bad. And he says what happens here is you get weaned off your selfishness. Any of you that have really suffered, and most of us have, it's one of the greatest tools God has to get us over ourselves. And so you begin to think, I, I, it's, it's not my will, but your will be done. And so then he goes on, and he begins to explain even more about what this is going to look like. He gets extremely practical in verse 3. You've already put in your time in that God-ignorant way of life. Partying night after night, a drunken and profligate life. Now it's time to be done with that for good. Of course, your old friends don't understand why you don't join in the old gang anymore. But you don't have to give an account to them. They're the ones who will be called on the carpet and before God himself. Listen to the message. It was preached to those believers who are now dead. And yet even though they died, just as all people must, they will still get on the life that God has given in Jesus. Point number two, we begin to be a family of changed lives. He says, guys, you remember the way you used to live? 
You remember when you used to do those sinful things? Drunkenness, partying. He says, be done with those things. Don't, don't go back to those things. When you go through difficult times, it's always tempting to go back to the way you used to be. In fact, Peter gets so fired up about this when he writes the second book of Peter. He says, chapter 2, he says, if you go back to your old life after knowing Christ, this is a gross illustration, it's like a dog returning to its what? Vomit. It's just that gross. And after we know the Father, for us to go back to our old way of life, Peter says, that's crazy. It's a dead end. You've experienced that dead end once. He says, but guess what? When you change your life, all your friends are not going to like it. If you're that teenager, you know, who's not willing to go out and party on Friday and Saturday night and go out and get drunk, people aren't going to like that. If you're the college student not willing to um, be promiscuous and have sex before marriage, you're going to be pointed out for that and picked on for that. Isn't that crazy? We talk about peer pressure because it's just as true with adults. If you're the adult working in a business and you're not willing to fudge your expense account when everybody else is, you'll probably be picked on. When you're not willing to go, you know, and tell the dirty jokes. When you're not willing to go out on those business trips and act in ways that you would have never acted at home, you're going to be pointed out. You'll be persecuted. But Peter says, don't worry about that because at some point, everybody will be judged. Don't think the people that are breaking God's law are going to get a bow with it. It's like trying to break the law of gravity. I can get on top of the RSA t- tower downtown and say, I'm going to break the law of gravity. I'm, I'm jumping off that balcony. I will never break the law. The law will break me. And my friends, when you rebel against what God wants for you, it will absolutely break you. And so what happens with us, Peter says, is we begin to be a people that are so very different. Our life is different in a positive way. I think Peter's still thinking about what he was talking about back in chapter 3, about the beauty of baptism. beauty of baptism is it, it buries that old man and it resurrects a new man. And we begin to be a church family of people whose lives are changed. And I look through this audience right now. And I could recount to you story after story. Some of them you've heard up in this area of people whose lives have been changed, of testimony, of how God changes people. And my friends, when we are able to turn our back on sin and we're able to embrace the will of God, that's what makes the church grow. Because people are more drawn to the power of a changed life than anything else. Because we're on fire because we've experienced the power of God. And then let's keep reading. Go with me to verse, verse 7. He says, Everything in this world is about to be wrapped up, so take nothing for granted. Stay wide awake in prayer. Point number three, we're going to be a family of wide awake prayer. He says, um, Guys, I want you to pray, and I want you to pray wide awake. Some of your translations probably put there, pray sober. Pray seriously. What does that mean? What does it mean to be sober about something? It means to look at things the way they actually are. And and so the, the key to powerful prayer is, first of all, you must be sober. You must be willing to look at the world the way it is, not the way you want it to be. But you've got to add this next part. This is what prayer is about. 
you also must be spiritual. Not only do you see the world is pretty messed up, you also see that God is incredibly powerful. If you're struggling in prayer today, I'll tell you you're struggling because of one or both of these things. Either you're not seeing the reality around us, you must not be watching the news. You're not seeing what's going on, or you're not seeing the power of God. And if today you want to increase your prayer life for it to be fervent and effective, see what's going on, but don't stop there. See God who can change anything. A practice that I'm trying to revive that I learned about years ago is when you watch the news, just pray. You see the wildfires, pray. You see the hurricane, pray. You see the riots in the street, pray. You see the crazy political divide, pray. It changes things. And so we learn to be the people who are wide awake. We're not acting crazy. We're not acting like nothing's happening. We're not burying our head in the sand. We see what's going on, but we see beyond that. We see a God who can change everything. So let's keep going. Look at verse, verse 8 and what he says. Very plain here. He says, most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it. Love makes up for practically anything. Well, I love that. Number four, a family of deep love. Above all, love each other. Did you hear that? Above all, love each other. Because, guys, the kind of love we're talking about here is not natural. What's natural is to love people that agree with you. What's natural is to embrace people that are like you. And that's the beauty of God's church. He says, we stretch ourselves to love. The, the words literally here in the Greek mean it's a runner pushing himself to the finish tape. He's stretching himself. He's pushing himself to love. Can I ask you, who are you pushing to love? When you walked in this room, did you just go sit in your seat or did you try to go love somebody? Who are you looking for in here who might have a problem, who might have an issue, who might need your encouragement? Who did you look for that's not just your buddies but, but might be different than you? You see, what makes God's family so different, it's not that we just have love. Everybody's got love to a degree. It's that we have a love that doesn't make any sense. We love people from different races and different economic backgrounds, different political persuasions, different ideas about this whole pandemic. We just love everybody. We don't let anything become a barrier. Because that's so radical. You know, I'm, I'm talking about today being fired up for Jesus. It sort of saddens me. I don't hear that terminology 20, 30 years ago, you heard a lot of people saying, man, man, that guy's fired up. Man, she's fired up. What a shame we don't say that anymore. Because what we need are some fired up people. What do fired up people look like? They're not these weird, crazy people. What they are is they're people who love like nobody else loves. That's what it means to be fired up. I read this crazy good story yesterday. You've probably um, heard on the news about the death of the Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But what I read was so surprising. A little known fact is that she was great friends with Anthony Scalia. Now you say, what's so big about that? She was probably the most liberal judge on the bench he easily is the most 
conservative, but they had served together on the Court of Appeals. Now they served together on the Supreme Court. They had developed a friendship so close that Scalia would send her flowers on her birthday. And despite the fact being from two crazy different political persuasions, even interpretations of law, they are able to be friends. If that Catholic man and that Jewish woman can do that, what can we do as we come together as Christians? It's going to be a crying shame if we allow the divisions in our country to divide us. And my friends, what we have is this incredible opportunity for us to show that we can love and what Peter would say to you, if you don't get anything else right that I'm talking about, you got to love each other. Love each other in such a way that people don't quite understand it. I have a, a good preacher friend, and his church had been through a, a, a major transition. And they had made a change that was quite controversial. And so after they had made that change, uh, I remember calling him probably a year after it. And I said, well, how's it going? He said, things are going really well. I said, I know y'all made this change. How many people did you lose when you made the change? Because when most churches make major changes, you lose people. He said, we lost some, but not many. I said, you're kidding. How did that happen? He said, even the people who disagreed with our change believed they could not find the same kind of love in another church. And what I want to be true of Landmark is that we have such a deep love. We stretch each other so far. We bend over backwards to keep each other. That even if I get mad at something you do, you get mad at something I do or don't do, that I just can't leave because I can't leave this love. That's, that's a church on fire. And then look at verse, verse 9. He'll give us even some more practical instruction. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's great. It's a family of cheerful hospitality. A good case could be made that the early church would not have survived without great hospitality. There would have been nowhere for the missionaries to stay. Nowhere for people to flee during persecution. Nowhere if people didn't open their homes for poor people to be fed. And so the church survived Because hospitality was a big deal. It was such a big deal that you could not become a shepherd, an elder in God's church unless you were given to hospitality. You want to be radical for Jesus? You want to be on fire for Jesus? Open your home. And let me say this. Not just for your normal buddies and friends, besides this buddy. Open your home. That'd be a good one. Open your home to people different than you. Because that's the way we're going to break these barriers down. And, and I love what he says. He, he, he must know us because he says, <clears throat> when you do it, you, <clears throat> you need to be cheerful. You ever had people over your home who weren't cheerful? Man, last time we had them over, she wouldn't even eat what we put on the table. Last time we had them over, man, I looked out the kitchen window and their children were tearing my children's toys up and they didn't even say a word. You ever been there? Last time we had them over, you know, they, um, they just stayed all night. And my goodness, I'm so sick of cleaning this house trying to make it look good. Now, you can understand, I've never said those words. 
<laughs> but you might be tempted to say them. And what Peter says is, if you really want to be a church on fire, you learn to do this. Because I'm telling you guys, there are very few things, especially excuse me, in a culture where we don't use our homes much that way anymore. There are very few things that are more impactful to people than you having them over in your home. Let's go to verses 10 and 11, make one more point. Point number six. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. <clears throat> if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So then all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. A lot of words there. I'll make one point. We want to be a family of eager service. He says, whatever gift you've been given, you use that to serve other people. Now, this is probably the most abbreviated list of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. He talks about speaking gifts and serving gifts. The way I take this, he talks about gifts like I'm using, hopefully right now, that are upfront and that are public. And he talks about gifts like so many of you are using today that are behind the scenes. He says, whatever gift you have, you must use it or you will lose it. And he says here, you do it eagerly. Don't be obligated. Because guys, here's what we understand. Many of you experienced it yesterday at Halcyon Elementary School. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I love being a part of a church that wants to be a part of our community. And yesterday was beautiful. Thank you for the way you turned out. I got to see the coolest thing on Friday. I took my grandson, George, he's six years old, to shop for school supplies to take. And so we went, and the Walmart we went to had everything we were looking for, but the children's scissors. Couldn't find the blunted scissors. So I took him home, dropped him off, and I'm walking out the door to go back to my car, and all of a sudden he runs out the house, Grandbuddy, I've got a pair of scissors I want you to give tomorrow. An old pair of children's scissors. I thought, man, I am so glad my grandson is being raised in a church where that's what we do. We give. And he says, when we are a church of eager service, can you imagine what we could do? See, here's my dream. Can you imagine when we show up at a house yard and we got too many people, we have to go, hey, there's another school over here we need to go to. We show up on Sunday and we got too many people wanting to work, so we got to do more things. In fact, this morning you have an, an opportunity to do this. In your seat, on your seat was a, a little volunteer sheet. And, and please take that out right now because we would prefer that you fill it out before you leave. Uh, there are pins around the building if you need to get up and get those or get those afterwards. You can see there's a clean bucket. There's going to be a place for you to put dirty pins. But before you walk out of here, if you'd put this in one of the baskets, it's so exciting that we're about to start children's ministry back two weeks from today. But that is the most intensive place where we need help. And so you can so volunteer here for all kinds of children's ministry. Some of you that are, are watching online or some of you prefer to do this, all of this is, is, is on our website. And so you can fill out this worksheet and get it to us. So we need all kinds of preschool teachers that will be going on during a service, temperature checked. And, and because of the way things are right now, we're, we're using more and more technology to make sure our online service is really, really good. 
And some of you use this kind of technology at your work or in your home, and you can help us out. Please check that we have to clean this building very quickly between services. We need ushers, greeters. You can see everything on this sheet. Now, here's the cool thing about the kind of schedule we're on right now. If you go, man, I just don't want to miss worship. I love, you You don't have to. You, you could come and serve at 9 o'clock and worship like you're doing right now at 1030 or vice versa. A lot of churches call that a 10-1 serve one. And this is a great opportunity. So today, I encourage you to, to please fill this out, and we'll be asking you to give that back to us before you walk out of here today. But let me, let me close out our message together. In God's family, I think we need to understand this. There is no choice about us being under fire. Peter makes it really clear. Don't be surprised when things go bad. That's just part of life. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble. So we have no choice on that. It's either happening now or it will happen. We'll all hit it. But here's what we do have a choice. Our choice is about being on fire. Because we can choose to either let the fire be destructive or we can allow the fire to be productive. We can do what Peter says. We can allow it to burn away those things that shouldn't be a part of our life. We can use it to mature us. Guys, here's, here's what I, I'm, I'm dreaming about. I'm dreaming about us coming out of this as a much better church. I don't want to be the same church we were back in March. More mature. We don't get our feelings hurt so easy. We don't have to have our way so much. You know, we're, we're a, a group of people, you know, that we, we, we put our back on some of the sin issues in our life. And we're on fire. Here's what we don't need anymore, guys. And I think it's going to happen whether we like it or not. We don't need more southern cultural Christians who just go to church because church is the expected thing. And that's the box you check out and good people go to church. And we live the same kind of lives everybody else. We just happen to go to church. God never was interested in that. He doesn't want it. He doesn't want it now. And I think this is our opportunity for us to come out of this and for us to grow up and for us to mature and us to act like people that are following Jesus Christ. Right? I can be so exciting. Because... You've got this choice. Peter had, of all people, Peter had this choice. Peter went through a fiery ordeal. Jesus literally told this guy, he said, I'm going to give Satan permission to sift you. And he did. He went through a fiery ordeal. And he didn't make it through it with flying colors. In the middle of his trial, he denied knowing Jesus. But he chose to keep following Jesus. The contrast would be between Simon Peter and Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot betrayed the Lord. Simon Peter denied the Lord. Not much difference. Judas Iscariot gave up. Simon Peter got up. And guys, here's what Satan's trying to do to you during this fire. He wants you to give up because life is not very easy right now. But here's the opportunity we have. Not by our power. How did Peter have the ability to get up? I'm telling you, he witnessed the resurrected Christ. That's why he talks about resurrection so much in this book. He saw him. He had the Holy Spirit fall upon him. 
And this man was able to get up. You talking about someone who had been under fire and even failed, who now is on fire? I mean, this guy preaches the first sermon in front of thousands of people and baptizes 3,000 people with the other apostles. Somebody got on fire? He was able to do that. Guys, that's our choice. And guys, I, please, 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 don't wait till this is over to be on fire for Jesus. Now, I want us to sing a song right now. This is our response to the message. It's just going to be a, a short few words about refiner's fire. And what I want this to be is your response is a prayer. So I, I'd love you, if you feel comfortable, just to hold your hands in your lap to receive and to invite God right now to use this fire to make you like Jesus, to burn off the bad stuff, and to fire you up. Let's pray together.